Good morning. You may not know this, but we live in a community that makes it really hard to be real. It makes it real easy to pretend. It makes it easy to perform and do and say the right things. I think predominantly for fear of what somebody else will think of us if they really knew us. But if that is a true hindrance of us today, we might as well just go home now. Because I will tell you on the front end, there will be an invitation at the end of this message for prayer. And if those cultural barriers exist, it just might be enough to keep you from responding to what the Spirit of God would be saying to you. But where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. I would believe, I would like to believe that you care more about what God would say and has for you than what somebody else thinks of you. If that's true, say amen. All right, good. You're on the hook. Turn to your neighbor and say out loud, I care more about what God has for me than what you think of me. Go ahead. I have one more thing, one more piece of business that actually may be harder for some of us. I'll let you work on this between you and the Lord, a brief time of prayer, because the other thing that will stand in our way of allowing the Lord to do what He wants to do is our pride. Do you value what God has for you and what God would say to you more than your pride? I'm going to give you a minute to have that conversation with the Lord and then I'm going to pray. Father, I know that in my own strength this is a waste of time and truly a fruitless endeavor. So please, Pour out on us. Do what you desire to do. Bring freedom and empowering to this church, to the families, to the individuals that are here. And start with me, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians 5.18, four sermons on one stinking verse. So if you're visiting, I am not going to recap it. It's just going to kind of spill out as we go. Romans 5, me, Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. 
Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit, the million-dollar question that we have been left with after three messages is, how? To, to be borne along by, like the wind filling a sail, to be filled with, to be permeated with, Wonderful, wonderful truth. I hope, I hope that there are a lot of you who have said or would say this morning, that's what I want. That's what I want. I want to walk in that. I want to walk in that every day to have the Spirit of God fill my sails, to permeate me, to fill me, to empower me. That's what I want. How do I do that? What is it that unleashes this incredible power that Paul says in Ephesians, the same power that raised Christ from the dead? A power that I read and that I hear is living in and resident in and dwelling within me. How do I tap into this? Well, as we begin to look at those kinds of questions this morning, let me say again that there's nothing mysterious about this. Simply going to study the text, and we're going to look at some cross-references, some related texts, and in them, I believe, we're going to find some clear directions to understand that this is not some sort of mystery or mystical thing to be filled with the Spirit. The first thing I want you to understand is that the filling of the Spirit is not something I have to beg God for. It's not something I have to beg, oh God, please fill me. Praying, pounding, knocking on the door. Please, please, please. Thirty plus years of ministry, I've met a lot of people that that's what they think. In fact, in telling their story, that's their journey. Uh, you know, I searched and I and I looked and I I was on this quest for the filling of the Spirit and I wanted to be filled and I prayed and I had people pray over me and I pressed and I pressed and I begged and I called out and finally, after years, I wanted you to catch something right here as we get started. When I act like that, It's as though I must think that God is reluctant to fill me. So our posture becomes, if I just beg enough, if I just knock on the door long enough, if I break down this reluctance, then He'll fill me. Listen, He wants to fill you. He wants to fill you. The reason the Holy Spirit is in you, believer, is to fill you. That's why He came. It's one of the Holy Spirit's functions in you as a believer to permeate you. It's His greatest desire. So understand, if anything needs to be broken down, it's me. 
Something else I want to give you on the front end of this, in terms of just studying the text, you need to understand why I'm going in this direction. See, not only is Ephesians 5.18, as we've been learning over these last few weeks, in the imperative in the Greek, which makes it a command, it is a command. Be filled. If I'm obedient to that command, it means I'm, it's not an option. Be filled. But not only that, we also have learned that it's in the present tense, which means you could read it this way. Keep on being continually filled. Keep on being, being filled. It is not a one-time thing. It needs to be continuous. But it's also in the present imperative passive. Let me just explain passive this way. An active verb is something I do. I'm involved in it. I act. I throw a ball to Judy. I did that. That's the act of it. But in the passive, the ball is thrown to me from Judy. I was the recipient of that action. In the passive, the action is done to me, okay? Passive. In the context of the filling spirit, looks like this. I don't fill myself with the Holy Spirit. There's nothing I can do to fill myself with the Holy Spirit. God fills. My role, what I need to do is clear the way of any obstacles that may exist that would keep him from being able to fill me. That would stop him to do what he wants to do when I remove those things that hinder him when I've yielded, when I've surrendered, when I've allowed myself to be broken, when I've emptied myself. Maybe all of those words could be wrapped up in one simple word. Obedience. Obedience, I believe it is the missing word and practice in authentic discipleship and transformation today in the American church. Understand, there are conditions that need to be met on my part. There are things that need to be adjusted in my life so that he can do what he wants to do. We're going to look at four adjustments. First adjustment comes from Ephesians 4, verse 30. Don't grieve the Spirit of God. Don't grieve. Guess what? This also comes, is written in the form of a command. Just like we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit, we're commanded not to grieve Him. Don't grieve the Spirit of God. As a believer, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, so that Christ can be formed in me. That's why he's there. One of the reasons he's there, it's his function. It is, listen, the normal flow of the Holy Spirit's existence in my life. His life in me, if I allow him, will produce things like love, joy, peace, patience, and on. 
That is the normal flow of normal Christianity. Normal Christianity is the flow, is the life of God flowing through me because I've given access to every dimension of my life. We're going back a bit in Ephesians. I've allowed him to settle down and be at home in every area of my life. We grieve the Holy Spirit one little word, sin, whatever form it takes. The presence of sin in my life grieves the Holy Spirit. It's a roadblock that frustrates Him from doing what He came to do. And each one of us has to, needs to deal with whatever it is in our own lives. And that's why I would, I would encourage you to practice what I call keeping short accounts. In the midst of when I stumble, Lord, I'm sorry. When I screw up, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I receive your forgiveness. You've already given it to me, I receive it. Question. What sin is in my life that is keeping the Holy Spirit from functioning the way He desires to? What sin is in your life that's keeping the Holy Spirit from functioning in you? What do we need to put off? As we learned back in Ephesians 4.25, to recognize it, say, Lord, I am I'm sorry for allowing this to have a foothold in my life. I take back the ground that I've given over to this practice, this attitude. I want you to consider something. When I have sin in my life that I am not turning away from and turning to Jesus for, I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. And when I do that, it changes the Spirit's function in my life. It changes His ministry. See, He's not going to be working through me to you in ministry. Instead, He has to work on me. He wants to work through me and produce love, joy, peace, all kinds of things, and, and to pour it out on you. But when sin is present in my life, his ministry changes from one of working through me to turning around and working on me. When he's working on me, he brings conviction, not condemnation. Condemnation is from the enemy, beats me up, makes me want to run from God. Conviction is designed very specifically to draw me to God. It brings about discipline, not punishment. But God isn't working through me, He's working on me. And so there are things that I need to take off, obstacles, sin that so easily entangles. Things that are keeping Him from doing what He wants to do. So one of the ways that I can hinder the filling of the Spirit is if I grieve the Holy Spirit. Second adjustment I need to make comes out of 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Don't quench the Spirit. Term is used here for putting out a fire. There are two things most commonly attributed to choking off the life of the Spirit in a believer. One is a lack of dedication on my part and another is a lack of faith. 
Lack of dedication. Pretty easy to see how this plays out. Romans 12, 1 tells me I'm urged because of the mercies of God to present our lives as a living sacrifice. But I read that or I hear that as the Spirit of God speaks that to me and I say, no. He calls me to give myself fully to him and I say, no. I sense the Spirit of God moving in me, I say, no, or but, and I have these excuses, and when I do that, it quenches the Spirit of God. Keeps Him from working, from moving to different levels of my life. We're talking about lordship, sanctification. When I quench the Spirit, I have a life resource, all the energy and the power of God living in me, living in you, never doing what he came to do. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. Another way to quench the Spirit is through a lack of faith. What does this look like? I think the easiest way to look at this, again, now don't, it's way simpler than it happens more often than we think. It happens when I limit God. When I limit what God can do in our church, through our church, in our family, through our family, in my life, through my life. Every time I put God in a box and I think, when I say, oh, I, 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 just, I just cannot see that happening. That just seems impossible. I couldn't possibly go and talk to so-and-so. I'd be afraid to have that conversation. What if? But. I know I need to trust God here, but. And I quench the Spirit. I said this in Sunday school today. I need to remove no and but from my vocabulary with God. Biblically, if you can find the exception of this, I'd love to see it. Biblically, whatever it is that God calls you or me, a family, or a church to do, whatever He calls you to do, He will give you the resources to pull it off. Just keep in mind, we often will not see all of those resources on the front end. We usually have to step into the river. We usually have to walk towards the battle, worshiping. We usually have to give them what's in our hands, our five loaves and our two fish, and to trust them with the rest. When I quit grieving him and deal with the sin in my life, again, please understand, to stop grieving the Holy Spirit is not a once and for all event. It's continuous. It's all the time. When I become aware of sin in my life, I need to turn away from it, turn to Christ and say, I'm sorry, I need you to walk this out in me. 
I keep stumbling over this. I need to lean into you. I need you to change me, empower me, bring victory into my life. I need to live that as a lifestyle. That's where resurrection power comes. When the light of God exposes something, whenever it is, whatever it is He exposes in my life, be it through a sermon, reading Scripture, a song, a conversation with somebody who really loves you, when something's exposed, I have a choice. Am I going to acknowledge it? Say it out loud. Speak the truth. Call it what it is. Bring it to Christ and say, I'm sorry. I know you've already forgiven me for this. I need to walk as your child because as a child of yours, I shouldn't live this way. It doesn't equal to who I am. I need to turn away from that. I need to take that off because it's not doesn't fit with who I am. That turning brings about filling. Or I can leave it, hide it, stuff it, medicate it, and when I do, I will quench and grieve the Spirit of God. There are things that I need to adjust in my life so that he can do what he wants to do. And the third necessary adjustment is allowing the Word of God to dwell in me richly. I want you to look at a fabulous parallel passage to Ephesians 5.18 and following. If I took you and you read Ephesians 5.18 up to chapter 6, verse 10, you would find all these amazing things that happened because of the filling of the Spirit. Colossians 3.16 and following, listen to this. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And then Paul in Colossians 3 talks about relationships. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. I don't know if this becomes as a surprise to you or not, but I hope you would notice if you held Ephesians 5, 19 through 6, 10 alongside of Colossians 3, what we just read, I want you to notice that in Ephesians 5, all of those things that happen are a result of the filling of the Spirit. In Colossians 3, what causes all that change is the Word of Christ dwelling richly in you. Please catch this. The filling of the Spirit and the Word of God dwelling in you richly has the same result. Don't miss this because they are intimately connected to one another. You cannot separate the two. Can I say it again? You cannot separate 
the filling of the Spirit, and having the Word of God richly dwell in you, you cannot separate the two. Letting the Word of God richly dwell in you and the filling of the Spirit go hand in hand. So Paul writes, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in order for me to even know, listen, for me to even know how to respond to God, for me to even know who He is, for me to even know who I am, really know who I am, in order for me to know what He's called me to do and be, I need to be in the Word. Otherwise, I am left alone to my own devices. And worse, the enemy taking the things that I kind of know about and just like he did with Jesus, twisting it just a little bit, but I don't even recognize the twist. That's why I'm committed to preaching the way I do to do expository preaching. Not that I don't do topics. We're told in Scripture that it is the Word of God that brings the knowledge of salvation. It's the Word of God that brings growth. It's the knowledge of the Word that protects against false teaching, which I just alluded to. And it's obedience and yielding and submission to the Word of God that brings the filling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Spirit involves first not grieving the Spirit, not quenching the Spirit. It is also dependent upon letting the Word of Christ dwell in me richly. Obedience and yielding and submission to the Word brings the filling, the fourth necessary adjustment that I need to make in my life so that the Holy Spirit can do what He's there to do is practicing the presence of Christ. Practicing the presence of Christ. I want to illustrate that through the life of Peter because Peter is so real. Peter is so earthy. He is so me. I can relate to Peter who at times does it right and at times stumbles badly. I can relate to that. Peter is the kind of guy, when I read his story, who just wanted to be by Jesus. Literally, wanted to be by him. I picture him in my mind that as they would walk on a path from one town to another or down a street, The other disciples are there, yeah, yeah, but Peter is so close on the heels of Jesus that if Jesus stopped, I'm sure Peter always ran into him. He had no space to like, (laughs) Remember the movie Hoosiers? They're in a playoff game, and one of the players is challenged by the coach. I want you to guard him so close that you can tell me what kind of gum he's chewing. 
Peter knew what kind of gum Jesus chewed. Let me highlight two things that stand out for me in this relationship. The first, when Peter was with Jesus, he did the miraculous. When Peter was with Jesus, he did the miraculous. And number two, when Peter was with Jesus, he had miraculous courage. First, when Peter was with Jesus, he did the miraculous. One evening, Peter and the others are in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And a storm comes. The storm is so horrific that though they have been rowing for three and a half hours, they are still in the middle of the lake. We were on the Sea of Galilee. It's not that big. Three and a half hours, you could go coast to coast twice. (laughs) They've been rowing for three and a half hours. They are in the middle of the lake. They are terrified. They think they're going to drown just so that you're not confused, in this episode, Jesus is not with them in the boat. And then off in the distance, in the midst of lightning and waves and strobe lights and all the effects and the sound rumbling and the theater swelling, they see a ghost. No, it's not a ghost. It's Jesus. And Peter has one thing in mind. I'm here. Jesus is there. That's a better spot. That's where I want to go. We like to bash Peter a lot, right? He's the only one who got out of the boat. Just remember that. Want to be where Jesus was. He's a fisherman. He's familiar with the Sea of Galilee grew up on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, he knows that normally stepping out on the water, he will live up to his name. All right, just wait for him to get to the back of the room. Thank you. All I can think about is I want to be with Jesus. Now, we all know Peter does things without giving it a lot of thought. He's impulsive. Some of the things he does are irrational. But his motivation was, I just want to be by Jesus. That's it. Because when he's connected to the source, he does the miraculous, he walked on water. When Peter was with Jesus, he had miraculous courage as well. Garden of Gethsemane. Remember the scene? Soldiers, the temple soldiers come to get Jesus, arrest him in the middle of the night, torches, Judas, a kiss. They're about to grab him and wonderful Peter. Again, right there with Jesus, he pulls out a sword and takes a whack at the closest person to him. I think that Peter's intent was to take on the whole group of soldiers that have come until Jesus stops them. Now, I'm not saying what Peter did was well thought out. But I will say this. When he was with Jesus, he had miraculous courage. 
When he's connected, when, he, when he's not connected, he doesn't do so well. Because just a few hours later, he's face to face with a young servant girl. Somebody who can't really hurt him. And Peter denied he even knew Jesus. Three times. One moment he's ready to take on his whole group of soldiers. The next, separated from Jesus, courage gone. Not long after that episode in Peter's life, Jesus is leaving. It's on the hillside, the ascension. He's going to the Father. And if this cycle in Peter's life continues to play out, where every time Peter is separated from Jesus, he falls on his face, we might as well bury Peter right now. But the next thing we see from Peter doing in Acts 2.14 is it says that Peter took a stand, raised his voice, and declared, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. This is the same Peter. Well, maybe not the same. Who denied Jesus three times. This Jesus, who was nailed to the cross by sinful men, has risen. Dear friend, since there is a resurrection, there is now forgiveness for all of you. And then he said to them, they said to him, Peter, what do we do? And he said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And what happened? 3,000 men plus the women and children that are there come and find Christ as their Lord and Savior. How did that happen? Well, it wasn't Peter. The promised one. The Comforter has come with power to do things in him and through him that he could never do on his own. Peter, listen, Peter, Jesus is not with you anymore, and he's not beside you anymore, and he hasn't come upon you anymore. Listen, Peter, he lives in you. He lives in you. And the next time I see Peter and John, they're going to the temple. And this beggar calls out to them for some money. Peter says, I don't have any money. I don't have any silver and gold. But what I have, I'm going to give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man got up and walked. Acts 5. Peter and John are preaching. They are turning Jerusalem upside down. And they are arrested and commanded to stop. But they go out and they do it again. And they're grabbed again. And Peter says in Acts 5, verse 30, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. But God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that we might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things 
And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. The difference here is that it it is no longer Peter who lived, but Christ who lived in him. Peter had given himself over, given access to the filling and empowering work of the Holy Spirit of God in his life. Was he perfect after that? Well, yes and no. Peter, like you and me, had been made perfect. You are, if you have bowed your knee to Jesus Christ, you are holy. You are whole, complete, no blemish. You're forgiven. You're chosen. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. You're adopted. You're a child of the King. That's who you are. But Peter, like us, had to walk it out. So here's the $2 million question. Who's living your life? It's actually a pretty profound question. Who is living your life? Being filled with the Spirit is being brought along by His power. It's being permeated by His presence. It's being dominated by His Word. It's being filled with His person, but we grieve that work and we quench His purposes. And so I ask you this morning, would you allow some introspection? Would you allow the Holy Spirit to reveal some things to you? Would you take the risk of asking Where is the Holy Spirit being quenched in my life? Are you willing to ask, where, how is the Holy Spirit grieved in my life? Are you ready to ask Him to give you the strength to maybe, for the first time, to see and acknowledge those areas? Are you ready to ask him, really important question, why do I do those things? Next question, are you ready not to ask him to fill you? He already wants to. Are you ready to say, Heavenly Father, I'm sorry. He's already forgiven you. 
Are you ready? No more hiding. No more pretending. No more performing. Are you ready to pray something like, I receive the forgiveness that you already extended to me. As your child, I want to walk a worthy walk. I want the way I live to be equal to who I already am in Christ. But I can't do that in my own strength. I'm sorry for how I have quenched or grieved your spirit working in and through me. Help me to learn to let your word richly dwell in me, not just read it and check a box. Help me to turn to Jesus, to lean into Jesus, that I might be filled and empowered by your spirit so that I might be transformed from the inside out that Jesus be formed in me, not my strength but yours, not my will but yours. I surrender to you. The filling of the Spirit, please catch this. It's not so much you asking Him, He's asking you. He's asking you. Can He fill you? Can He today? Now? If that resonates with you because the Spirit of God has been speaking to you this morning or over these last weeks, I want to invite you to come and pray. I'll pray with you. Do you have to come forward? No. Is it important in, for some of us in our Humility before Him? Probably. Maybe you want to sit where you're at and pray with somebody you came with. It's okay. Maybe you want to ask somebody you came with to come up front with you and pray with you. But I want to invite you to come because Dover Church has to be a safe place where we can be real with God and one another. Amen? So if the Spirit of God is speaking to you today, don't harden your heart. It's so much better to to come than to leave wishing you had. I don't even have some nice, frilly music to play. Just going to ask you to come pray.